All right, folks, uh, sorry for those who were joined on. Uh, when we just tried to start this again, we're having technical difficulties. We apologize about that, but uh, I, like we said originally, if you saw it, um, we're all kind of wondering and figuring out how to do this technology thing well, so that's where we're at. Um, cool. Uh, so uh, today, again, uh, we're going to be actually talking about political ideologies. And before I jump into that, let's take a slow. My name is Warren Williams. Welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast. Uh, I'm joined by Will today. Um, and uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about political ideologies. We're going to be diving deeper into um, the four quadrants. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should probably go back and look at the last podcast Jim and I did last Monday, where we dove into these four quadrants as we talked about the ways that political religions are coming into play um, during this time. And I won't get into all of that, what that means. If you're looking for that, I just recommend that you go back and look at the podcast we did last week and you learn more about what we're talking about today. But um, we introduced what we introduced last week was this, these four quadrants. And today we're going to be diving into the idols on the left-hand side of this quadrant. So um, progress and identity. We're going to be talking about that in ways that the desires that may be good and, and, and rightly expressed in some of these quadrants or people who um, kind of would say they lean in these directions can become disordered, how they can become uh, just take over in ways that are ultimately not helpful to the conversations. And um, if, you're, if you're sitting here or you're, you're hearing this now and you're wondering, hey, what about the right side? We're going to get to that next week. Uh, we're not, you know, we're, we will be addressing all the idols within these quadrants, and Jim is going to Jim is going to hop on next week and discuss um, the right side here. So, Will, uh, love the fact that you're here, man. I know personally, just in our friendship and our relationship, how much work that you've done in this area. But the people may not know that. Um, can you kind of give us your personal journey um, within the conversation about race and justice? Yeah, I've, I've actually been thinking about that, trying to remember when this started. And mm -hmm. honestly, it was uh, it, it started through hip hop. Um, I, I yes. grew up loving hip hop, listening yes. to hip hop, and uh, I remember I was in college. So this was like 2003. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my best friends had given me a book written by um, Tupac's godmother. And it's the autobiography of the Sasha Shakur, right? Yeah, yeah. Great book. and so that book was was really my first kind of glimpse into uh, uh, just a deeper dive into racism sure. and and systemic injustice, and it was it was mind blowing. Uh, if you don't know, Sasha Shakur uh, was a Black Panther who is now a political refugee in Cuba, and there are literally laws written about how you can treat prisoners in our country because of the grotesque ways that she was mistreated. Mm. And so that was just really eye-opening and that caused me to kind of go back and, and re-hear yeah. a lot of music, um, a lot of hip-hop that I've listened to my whole life hearing about some of these things. And so that just kind of led to um, really an interest, especially musically, and then poetry like um, the Hall Renaissance, like yeah. Muse. Sure. Um, and I just, I just read a lot. And, mm. uh, and it just kind of grew from there and then really I don't know, a number of years ago, started reading more about the connection between the gospel and race. Uh, people like John Perkins, yeah. his writings were really, really helpful in making those connections that it's not just like an interesting thing that sociologists talk about. Right, right. But there are, there are gospel, gospel implications. implications. Sure, yeah, sure. So so I've been reading and, and talking and thinking about this for, for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I would also add, like, you and your family, you know, because I know you guys have intertwined your lives with people other than your 
yourself and all that. Like, and in addition to the books, it's been like just a real way that you guys have like modeled um, this. Like, like it's not just being with folks that are different than yourself. So, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how we. I got to know him. You know, I know. I, I think uh, went over his house for like Easter one year, and um, yeah, you know, just a friendship started there. And um, like I say, you know, Will is someone that. I can definitely say has done a lot of research work and is not, you know, as we get into talking about this, this stuff today, there's a lot of frameworks that we can approach this conversation from today. But our goal today is to root this conversation within the biblical narrative. Um, and we'll get into like what that actually looks like and means. But the reality is there's a lot of people, this, this conversation, the way that it's blown up, um, or, you know, specifically um, in relation to the death of George Floyd, Arbery, it is a real pertinent and um, hot conversation in our country right now. So there, and there are a lot of people for the first times in their lives are like really, like having these hard discussions about race and justice. And um, in some ways, that's beautiful, right? I don't want to ever dismiss that. Like there, are, this is a beautiful moment that we're in as a country where uh, people are asking really good questions and having really good conversations with each other. That's that's a beautiful thing. Um, but I think, you know, we kind of touched on this last time, but there is a way that um, for some folks who are now reading, learning about the full weight of what systemic justice and structural racism looks like are uh, very passionate about it yes. um, in ways that, you know, my discussion with Will, I think he, he brought up something really interesting. It, uh, it's very reminiscent of the religious right of our parents' generation. Can you speak more on that? Yeah, so... Um, I'm gonna. My parents may watch this, so I'm gonna be very gentle <laughs> with my language because honestly, I don't want to offend. Yeah. But I, I would like to point out that a lot of people in our generation, yeah, um, we see, especially in the North American Evangelical Church, the previous generation's alignment with the with the political party, with the Republican Party, yeah. and they pointed out specific sins that were right and good for them to point out. In doing so, um, a lot of folks in our generation yeah. suggest that they um, they bought into an entire political platform that was not all biblical. Mm. What I see now is the exact same thing happening mm. on the religious left. So let me unpack this a little yeah. bit. Yeah, for, for my parents' generation, the primary sin that the church was called to speak about was abortion. Yeah, for our generation, especially now, the primary sin that we are called to speak about is racist definitely there was posturing in the in the culture war of what was appropriate for god's people so this would include things like limiting um what what media you would consume and your children would consume not listening to you know secular music right right, right. these certain types of movies or, or tv shows or whatever because it was against this this culture culture yeah. morality yeah what the culture says this is what a christian should yeah. So as a reaction to that, now we dive to the other extreme, right. and we say, I can watch anything. Yeah. I can consume any type of culture or media. Right. Um, I can I can enjoy craft beers as much as I want. Mm. And these these personal individual sins that that the religious right would point out, we kind of like scoff at right. as old and antiquated, and we just traded them in for these new culturally yeah. acceptable sins. We see in, in, in their generation and in ours, there is a certain Phariseeism hmm. of if I can check these boxes, yeah. then I am righteous. And so if I can black out my, my Facebook profile picture 
if I can read the new Jim Crow. Yeah. If I can if I can march and post Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Then that has proven my righteousness. And the danger with both of these things is that our righteousness is in Christ alone. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have just treated what one political <laughs> side said. That's really interesting. In, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, yeah. in good or bad ways, ways yeah. for the other, the other extreme. Man, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think that has been the hardest thing for me in this in this time, right? Because I, like I said, I am seeing so many people that are getting like passionate and wanting to have discussions and speaking out, but um, in ways sometimes that are not so gracious. Yeah. Um, in ways some sometimes that. Um, it even feels like it's like trying to maintain a brand rather than like really dive in. And I'm not saying I'm not saying here I'm judging the, the motives of everyone's heart, but it's just some of the ways that it comes across. Um, you know, I have yet to see on Facebook um, when someone like argues with someone and they come back and like, yeah, you know what? I actually that, that was a good point, and now I've learned. Now I'm on your side of this discussion. Like, you know what I mean? And just the vitriol on one side that we look down upon can be also be seen on the other side. So I think that's a that's a, that's something that we definitely need to have eyes for around this conversation because ultimately like we want people to we want we want people to in, engage in these conversations. We don't want to dismiss them by our like attitudes. Um, and so um, so one one uh, I, I think way that I've seen this conversation done in ways that I don't feel are as helpful is that when we look at racism, um, it seems to be sometimes used as a way to like attribute an identity to a person rather than describing maybe specific actions, um, yeah, more, more so specific actions rather than the totality of someone's identity. And in my opinion, when that happens, it, it does two things. One, it like dismisses the person who may actually not be in their hearts like desiring to be racist in that moment, but they just don't have the right language. And our culture does not have a much a lot of race for folks who don't have the right language yes. for own things. It's like you're done, you're canceled, you're out of here. Um, and that's yeah, I would say that's that's not a helpful approach. So that does that one, dismisses folks. And then two, it can absolve other folks who see themselves as the right side down. Oh, I'm on the right side of this discussion and as long as I post that thing, as long as I black out my profile picture and use the hashtag Black Lives Matter, then I've done I've done my part. I'm done. Um, so yeah, I would I would love to hear some of your thoughts on um, yeah, just just the uh, the the use of racism as a descriptor rather than the totality of identity. Yeah. So First, I want to say I blacked out my profile picture. Hey, right? I'm not. I'm not <laughs> pointing the finger right. as that's a bad. Uh, that was a bad thing to do. I did. Yeah. Okay. So let's just be. Let's be clear. Mm. Um, I, I think a couple. A couple things in regard to this. When we talk about racism, if you lean right, typically these are general, broad brushstrokes. Typically, you're talking about individual, personal animus mm. towards another group. Mm. Okay. Typically, if you lean left, you're talking about systems and structures. Yeah. So when brothers and sisters on the right are like, no, there's way less racism than there was, they're correct. Yeah. And yeah. when brothers and sisters are on the left, yeah. they're saying so they're still, yeah, yeah. there's still racism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, but what happens is we miss the conversation yeah. totally. Sure. And then comes this language that you, uh, you're so right to point out, like, well, you're racist, that's racist, this is racist. Right. <clears throat> when when I preached two Sundays ago, mm -hmm. I was intentional in my use of language that racism is sin. Yeah. 
we cannot waver in that. One, because the church is often not said it. Right, right. But two, because I believe that that's a helpful framework to start from. Yeah. Okay, this is what I mean. I don't consider myself an angry person. Right, I'm pretty laid back. Yes. Most people who know me know I'm pretty I can, laid back. I can attest to that. <laughs> now, if you ask my children, right, or my spouse, there are times that I am angry. Yeah. If you address me as only an angry person, right, I'm going to get defensive because exactly. I have an entire body of work to show yes. I'm not an angry person. Yeah. However, if you, as my brother in Christ, who love me, say the way you just spoke to your son was angry. Hmm. Right? So it shifts from identity to describing action. In action, specific action. Yeah. And the reality is we all grow up from a certain uh, in a certain geographic location, mm -hmm. point in history, ethnicity, you know, the, the families and communities that we're born into shape our perceptions of things. Right. In other words, we have blind spots. Yeah. So the goal in this conversation is to reveal those blind spots. It doesn't happen well. When, when we're just bashing each other on the head, right. you know, right? And, right. And, and you're this thing in totality, especially in this culture where yeah. like being racist is the worst thing there is. Yeah, yeah. And I get, the, you know, we get that. We understand that. Yes. But it, in in ways that the conversation becomes, it's like, well, you're racist, and now everything else else you have to say is just like invalid. Yeah. You're not even worth like even coming to the table to it. Yeah. And so the other thing that this that the language of sin does is is if we stick with the anger yeah. metaphor, right? What I've heard from um, a lot of brothers and sisters who are white mm. will say things like, this conversation is just so hard. Yeah. I don't know how to be politically correct all the time. I'm going to mess it up. It's never good enough. And, and so they will use that to disengage from the conversation on race. If you see me acting in angry, sinfully angry ways yeah. in, in my words and actions, towards my wife and you allow me to say like man Warren I'm not I'm never gonna be perfect I don't right. know the right language to use forget it I'm just gonna keep being angry yeah we don't hopefully prayerfully church we do not let brothers and sisters right. Do that, right 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 and so I can't just like get off yeah on there's no me. cop out there's no yeah. cop out yeah. right I, I cannot walk away from sure. the conversation because it is sin right that Jesus died for and calls his church to embody something better yes yes um and you know I was actually reading a book about this exact thing about like, you know, when it comes to racism, rooting it back in, in your identity rather than like, um, or not, not, sorry, not rooting it in your identity versus scripture because for our brothers and sisters in the church, our identity is in Christ, right? And if we remember what the, the gospel has done for us, it was by no work of our own. So uh, for those who are in the dominant majority, right? If you look at your actions and you say, well, because I'm this, that I am more righteous, or I'm, I'm more, I'm you know, better than these other group of people. You have to you go back to the gospel. You remember grace. It was by no work of your own. So there, there's no right to be self-righteous in that. Yes. Same thing, you know, for minorities, for um, you know, blacks, whatever it may be. Minorities, uh, you know, we, I think, in our sometimes we can get the impression it's like, well, we're more nobler than the dominant culture because of our oppression. And it's like, no, we have to go back to the gospel. It's because it's not because of who we are. It's because of what Jesus did, um, and in that way, because you know, it, it removes it the the guilt from putting it on your identity. You remember where your identity is rooted in, and the reality is, when people like racism, a lot of it is rooted in like fear, right? And my, my wife always makes fun of me the way I say that. Fear, sorry for anyone. That's my that's my East Coast accent. Come now, fear um, yes. is rooted in fear. So when someone's like fearful, 
right? You don't go up to them and just start like beating them in the head of like, oh, you're terrible. Like that is only going to increase their fear. That's only going to increase their anxiety, increase their separation from the issue, right? But um, you know, as you re you remind them, the thing is, you remind them of their identity in Christ. That they're not justified by their race. They're not justified by their political party. They're justified by the work of Christ. So that's good. Uh, yeah. That's uh, very good. <laughs> so just rooting it back to like our true identity and not putting, uh, not making these other things of sin, um, the person's identity who we may um, be on the other side. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, talking, you know, kind of segueing from there, um, we want to look at good ways to have this conversation because, guys, the reality is um, there are a lot of organizations, there are a lot of mantras, there are a lot of things that are out there right now that um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, of, of course we a lot of times agree with the sentiment of what is being said, but we want to really vet, um, and not, not even just vet, but root ourselves in scripture to be our guide and lead in this conversation. Because the truth is, like the justice of uh, that's told in scripture, it speaks very much to all the, all the things that we're facing. It's not, um, it's not uh, absent in this conversation. Yeah. Um, so what are some, like, what is the importance, Will, of being rooted in the biblical story when we're having this conversation? What are what are what ways does that allow this conversation to be long lasting rather than a trending topic? Yeah. So, uh, I, I have a couple thoughts on that. sure, and I'm going to start this by saying uh, a lot of these thoughts are rooted in um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Doctor um, Ibram X. Kendi. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he talks about emotional activism. Mm -hmm. So I'm rooting this in a non-Christian perspective. Yeah. To say, if we want to take steps to go beyond just emotional activism, and what he means by that is, you know, we, people watched the George Floyd video and felt really, really sad and posted things or maybe went out in March um, because there was a lot of emotion. You feel sad, you feel right. angry, you, you Maybe you feel embarrassed or guilty that you're just now realizing these conversations or entering into these conversations. So this emotion produces this activist work. Um, and he would argue that it needs to be more. I would agree with that argument, but it needs to be rooted in scripture, yeah. um, in our actual identity. Mm. Because our identity is in the image of God. Yes. And so a couple things that does. One, that gives value and worth to every fellow image bearer. So any, there is no room for any type of supremacy right, that, because right. we're created in God's image. And that's, that's the identity that undergirds the work, that there is worth and value, so there must be equality. Mm -hmm. Now, from that, we realize that God gives us this command in Scripture to go and, and create culture. Yeah. Um, and so as humanity has gone out and created culture, because cultures are comprised of fellow image bearers, there is value in every culture, right? right? And because cultures are created by sinful fallen humans, yeah. there is cultural idolatry. Right, exactly. exactly. So, so to look at one and assume one over about the other is, right. is, is um, unbiblical. Sure. It's heretical. Yeah. The other thing we do as image bearers is we, we reflect to others what God is like. Mm -hmm. And to assume that God could be reflected fully by a monolithic culture yeah. is to have a very narrow view of who God is. 100%. 100%. So my brothers and sisters from different ethnicities reflect God to me in different ways yeah. that enhance my worship of Him. Yes. 
my brothers and sisters from different historical time periods mm. reflect God in a different way. That's good. My brothers and my sisters. <laughs> so there is a gender yeah. distinction, distinction yeah. right? Reflect God sure. in different and beautiful ways. And to only hear some of those voices yeah. is to limit our understanding of who God is. So when we start with this, the Mago Dei, yeah. right, image of God, that, that just kind of grows and expands from there. Um, a couple other things, I think if we, as we see the arc of the biblical narrative, moving to one of, that, it, that is brought to culmination in a city, in a diverse city, yeah. um, not in a countryside, mm. not in a garden. Why is that important? That's important because I think a lot of times we idealize, um, all right, I'm gonna go off, I'm gonna wrap this up. Let's go. If you look at, at church art, and the only image you see is Jesus in the countryside, <laughs> wearing Birkenstocks, walking through all the cracks. If you Jesus, if you Jesus, Jesus. When you grew up, like, right? Yeah, no, no. Box. I mean, I, I'm thinking most images I've seen of Jesus is like the image of the shepherd in the feet, in the pasture. And I know there's like good things there's about good that. Things about of there. course, good things about that. But yeah, like you don't see many images of Jesus. I actually I can't even think of an image of Jesus within a city, right? That's but, really interesting. But yeah. we have story after story yeah. after story of Jesus in the city. Exactly. So, I don't know how much we want to get into this, yeah. but there was a whole um, demonization of cities mm. that, in a lot of ways, coincided with white flight from urban areas mm. out to the suburbs, mm. out to the edges of yeah. cities. So cities historically were seen as evil. Sure. Now, in the last decade or two, the church has reclaimed that, and we see this movement back into back the city, city, right? Typically in gentrified areas, yeah. which is a whole other conversation. Yeah, it's like part, part two. <laughs> it's two L2. Yeah. But, but yeah, so so I think that there is something to, you know, it talks about the kings of all these kingdoms coming into the New Jerusalem right. and, and, and bringing their yeah. glory, yeah. Like the best of their cultures yeah. at the feet of God. Right. So it's, it's all that say, it's, it's inclusive. Right. And that, that matters. So we see this art that invites the outsider in. Mm. We see this art of God always bending towards or the oppressed. Yeah. Um, and that matters uh, because that's what we're called to do mm. um, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, right. right? As we display what God is laying to the to the watching world. The the other thing is if we just look at who Jesus is, Jesus, I remember uh, this was years ago, Ricardo, when Ricardo Stewart was was lead pastor, he preached in the book of Mark, and he kept talking about Jesus was too liberal for the conservatives right. and too conservative for the liberals. Right. And, and he just blew up every category in the name of displaying the kingdom, which was inclusive. Mm. Right? Paul, you know, I love that you brought up the yeah. Ephesians, you know, to a yeah. right? It's by grace. Right. And then Paul goes on to say at the end of 2 and beginning of chapter 3, the mystery of the gospel mystery, right? is that Jew and Gentile are now one. Right. Not that they're no longer Jew and Gentile, but that they are united yeah. in Christ. So there's not, there's not an elimination of the distinctions. We don't see that happening. It's not like, well, now you're... Um, you're no longer this ethnicity. You're just a Christian now. Yeah, yes. we see that in the kingdom, right? Right. Couldn't know that there's different tongues, tribes, and nations. If exactly. There some, yeah. If we're all, you know, <laughs> see through, or yeah, yeah. color we would be. That's that's really important. That's good. Yeah, you know, we see when when Christians are first called Christians, little Christ, Christ is, right. is in Antioch. Mm -hmm. There's people from all different parts of the city, which in Antioch historically the city was divided by walls. Hmm. Hmm. There were walls of separation. Yeah. 
the people of the city had to create a new word. Think about that. There wasn't a word in their language to describe yeah. people from all different backgrounds, ethnically, gender, wow. socioeconomically, getting together in right. unity. So new language had to be created to describe this this <laughs> otherworldly. Right. I don't know if I want to use that yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, existed, no. but this like it, it was so foreign to, right. to their to their understanding of reality that new language had to be created. That's why we're called Christians today. Man, that's that's really good. I love that. <laughs> I love that distinction because I feel like there are some points in this conversation where people with good intentions would say, you know, they quote that uh, scripture or scripture Galatians where it says there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, no female. I'm like, yeah, that's true of our standing before God. Like before God, is, there's no partiality to a, a certain group of people. But you know, it's not like these our races and um, ethnicities came about by mistake, right? It's like uh, beautiful gifts of God and the different races and season um minimizing that really like will was talking about it uh we don't get to see the full picture and beauty of god and who he of who he is uh, by learning from people um, that are different so not something to be minimized um so uh i, I think uh, a, a scripture a part of passage scripture i've seen quoted um referenced a lot during this time is john 17 right where jesus is praying for his disciples and he's praying ultimately that they would be united and he says something there. Um, he, he references uh, the way that the Trinity is united, right? And like every time we talk, I know when we talk about the Trinity, everyone's like, I kind of get what that means. Like the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, they're, they're doing something together. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's actually something really interesting about the mystery of the Trinity as we like talk about this discussion. Um, and we're like, I, I'd love if you get into like, yeah, just, just the way that Jesus is like referencing that and as he references the Trinity, how some of our confusion around the Trinity actually helps the discussion. Yeah. So so Jesus prays in John 17 that um, that his followers would be one. Yeah. Just as we are one with him and just as he is one with God. Mm. So we know in the Trinity that there is such interconnection yeah. that it is one Godhead. It is, there is unity yeah. within a triune, so a distinct yeah. God. And we've come up with all different ways to try yeah, and yeah. get it. And, you know, as a guy who just graduated with his uh, <laughs> you know, master's in seminary, <laughs> right? Like, this is still very different. Right, 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 for sure. And Jesus prays that his church, who would come after him, mm. would be so connected and so distinct the people would still struggle to describe that relationship. Yeah. Now, that's not a challenge. I challenge, I, I struggle to have that unity with my wife. Mm. And scripture says it too, become yeah. one. Right? That's good. And we don't have 400 years yeah. of really poor history. Right. Right? <laughs> so when I see that, that is not, I want to, I want to um, be intentional. Yeah. To not let that feel overwhelming, okay? Because Jesus, yeah. who spoke all things into existence, pray that. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm getting emotional. Yeah. Pray right, that man. for his church. Yeah. The night before he was crucified, that's deathbed conversation. Mm. Dang. 
So with the all-powerful God of the universe, Jesus, embodied yeah. in flesh, who Paul tells us is reconciling all things today, yeah. if that is his heart to pray for his people right. in that moment, uh, then that means the church has the church has power. Amen. Amen. Right through the Spirit. Yeah. Now this is to get back to where we start with this. This is enhanced by non-biblical scholarship. Right. Right. This is enhanced by sociology right. and psychology exactly. and history. Right. This is only enhanced by that. But it cannot be the basis. Amen. Right? That's like, man, I don't know what that it's like we have Jesus praying for this, but we're gonna be like, oh let me just read a book. Right? Like the book is good. Yeah, the book is good. The book the is, book is good. Good. Right, right? Right. But there is such a deep well that we have to draw from. Right. You know, there yes. there are there are faithful brothers and sisters yes. throughout the ages. Yes. That doesn't mean all of our church history is great. Right. But there have been those voices, those abolitionist voices, the uh, civil rights movement, right? Yeah. You know, on and on down the line, right? The bit um, of faithful believers. Yes. Who understand this is a gospel implication. Yes. Now, I love that, man, because I think sometimes when um, this conversation is brought up, there is some, somewhere, you know, it's felt that it's like we're bringing something new yeah. that's foreign scripture um, and you know you I mean, you can read your Bibles from way sideways backwards forwards and it's all there right it's not um, a new concept uh, that's being introduced um, and yeah the, the the great books that are out there the documentaries like Will said they only enhance this beautiful thing that Jesus himself is like prayed for yeah. that Jesus himself has uh, shown so much care for you notice that? So for a short time, uh, when I when I taught in California, I coached junior high flag football. Oh, okay. And I had a kid that came on the team, and his his parents were very wealthy. Hmm. And he was not athletic. Okay. At all. But he came with like the matching under armor cleats oh, yeah. and socks <laughs> and, and the tights and the shorts and he had the jersey and he had the wristbands and he had the like this is I'm gonna date myself. Yeah. He had the Nelly like the little bandy, right? <laughs> and he had like the, the, the workout yeah. glasses, yeah. the around. We all know folks like that that show up to basketball courts like that, man. <laughs> and so and, and I don't like I don't mean to poke fun at people, yeah. but, but there, it, at times, as we have these conversations, it seems like there are people who, like, you read one book and you bought some Under Armour clothes. Yeah, yeah. And now you're stepping <laughs> on the field. You, you, you might want to, like, practice yeah. running some routes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, that doesn't mean you're never allowed to play football. Exactly. But that means there's a preparation yeah. time, you know, before, before you're on the front line, before 100%. you're on the starting squad. 100%. Um, and, and, and it's not, man, it's not like some people are better than you, you know, whatever. Like, I, we have really, really good friends who um, have helped me a ton. A few years ago, I started, you know, caring for my physical health and working out with the weights, you know, that whatever, exercise, which I've not done for a long time. And, and you know, my friend Steve, I, I mean, he was like a former bodybuilder, former yeah. powerlifter. Man, I asked that guy a ton of questions because he knew what he was talking about. Right. I didn't only ask him questions. I went to the gym, too. Right. But I didn't assume that I could just go to the gym and, and get in shape and not hurt myself or someone else, right? So it doesn't have to be either or. It's both and. Continue to press in and read. Continue to press in and write. Yeah. Continue to press in and listen. You know, all of these things, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. But I hope that we're not arrogant enough to think that, you know, we can start this conversation for about five minutes and then we got it all solved. Yeah, then we got it all solved. Yeah. 
I mean, Dr. King was good, but I got this all the fun. So, right? Like, it's cool, man. Yeah, um, the reality is, guys, and I know if you've watched previous videos, I've probably said this a zillion times, and I'm going to keep saying it, is that um, the real work that's going to be, like, that's going to help to push against systemic and structural racism is going to it's a long battle. Um, it's going to be done in many small ways, um, and it's going to... It's not going to be fast and famous. It's going to be slow. It's going to be obscure. It's going to be involved in meetings and discussions about things that sometimes we don't care about, but we need to just be present to, for to to have a say in the conversation. Um, and so, you know, this moment, while it's beautiful, um, may I hope it's more than just a moment, but it just may be that. Like in the way our culture kind of cycles through things. As soon as LeBron starts dunking the basketball again, like people move on. That's the reality of it, right? That's 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 how it is. But if, if this is our identity what you're saying if we realize that our identity calls us to continually be in this conversation then it can be more long-lasting um, so uh, kind of closing up here um, uh, you've been in the last couple months uh, leading a Bible study on meditations right yeah. and we see in Bible in, 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 in the Bible that uh, lament is expressed through both rage and hope yeah. um, but it doesn't live in Right, uh, but the way that this, our quadrants and our political conversation happens, it seems like both sides kind of wants us to live in either one of those emotional states. Um, so I'd be yeah, I'd be yeah. curious to hear your thoughts on that, man. <clears throat> so uh, again, these are gonna be general structure. But we have the conversation on race. Typically, brothers and sisters on the right are saying it's okay, it's not that bad. Get over it. Right. Four hundred years ago. What are you still talking? About? Yeah. And so I don't know if that's hopeful, but but it is that we're moving past the riots. We're moving on. Yeah. The civil rights thing happened. The Civil Rights Act was passed. We had a black president. Right. Right. There's been progress. There's been progress. Yeah. Which is true. Which, which, is, true. which is very true. Yeah. Okay. On the left, what we see is, uh, I mean, we see it now. We see rage. Mm. And I am in no way suggesting that rage is unjustified. Right. Just like we can admit, we right. see progress. There has not been enough progress. Yeah. It has been very, very slow. Right. Right. And so it's understandable that there will be feelings of anger. Of course. Right. What lament does is give voice to both of them. Mm. What both sides tend to do is only want to live in one. Right. 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 And, and we see it in different ways. You know, we see it in um, you know my generation, a little bit younger, because I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, it's like this this. Um, we saw before us this, um, what we would say was this like inauthentic Christianity. Mm. So we're going to be real and raw yeah. and vulnerable. Right. But what that translates to is I'm only going to talk about my critique of the church. Yeah. I'm only going to talk about all of my struggles. Right. I'm only going to talk about how I don't trust anything. Right. And how every institution should be, you know, torn to pieces. Yeah. And, and we call that authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity in Scripture cannot get away from hope. Mm. It cannot divorce itself yeah. from hope because it's rooted in who God is right. as faithful mm. and good yeah. and in control. Now, in Lamentations, God inspires his people to question his very existence and presence. And that <laughs> trip you out, right? Yeah. Right? Like yeah. God inspired the words, right. like, where are you, God? God is not here, right? God has abandoned me. God inspired those words. Right. 
okay, if we believe scripture is authoritative, sure. Um, and great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies yeah. are new every yeah. morning. Every morning. Every morning. Mm. In the midst of a city that's torn to pieces, right. you know, the, the, the best and brightest have been carried off into slavery right. in Babylon. Right. Unspeakable things have happened to the women and children. Mm. I mean, it's crap, right? If you were in the Lamentations Bible, study, it is crap. Yeah. And there's still these images of hope. Mm. So to minimize, one thing that comes to mind, we talk about how in Jesus, we are more fully human. Yes. Because sin distorts our Right. What I assume that to mean is I'm happier, I have more joy, I have more contentment, I have more gratitude. Those are not, that's not an exhaustive list of human emotions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Sorrow, anger. Right. Those are right. human emotions. Feeling those things in the right way. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's so, so good. Passion, so good. Empathy. Yeah. That's really good. Right? Our, allowing our right. hearts to break as we hear the stories of brothers and sisters right. who live through, you know, uh, uh, oppression and violence. Right. Right? A deeper, a deeper emotional experience of that is yes. being more fully human. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it is really good. Like, and even as um, you know, I kind of express that even when I when we open up this conversation, I'm like, yeah, it's like the, I, I feel the weight of the horrible, the horribleness. That's even a word of the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, right? Like, there's no. I want, you know, there's no way to paint over that. There are ter terrible things that happen here, um, injustice that occurred. Um, but at the same time, I still feel hope, right? I still feel hope in the fact that people are coming to an awareness that structural racism exists, that they don't, you know, want it to exist. Um, they want to learn from people's experiences. So there is a hope in there. So um, even even how I'm experiencing this time, I feel that. Yeah. yeah. Even, you know, I've I've seen a few stories, but there hasn't been a lot of media coverage. Yeah. Those, the location yeah. where George Floyd was murdered mm -hmm. has now become this, like, almost, I want to be careful with my language, but almost like sacred ground. Sure. Where where churches from the local area yeah. are, are there praying, having conversations with people about Jesus. People That's are coming beautiful. to know Jesus and being baptized right. at that location of deep pain. Wow. Does that not remind you of the cross? <laughs> okay. This was going on, and I'm not trying to bash anyone, yeah. but I know that there was a very famous yeah. Christian... Um, group that, that came there over the weekend mm. and said, like, now we're going to bring Jesus. No, Jesus was Jesus there. Was Jesus there. has yeah. been there. Right. And he's been doing incredible work. Yeah. The, the progress of conversations. Yeah. You know, conversations that people would refuse to have right. four years ago. Four They're years ago. The spirit right. is moving. Exactly. Yeah. And in that way, it's in that way, it's a painful and a beautiful moment. Um, and ultimately, guys, as we wrap it up here, our goal and our uh, aim and our hope is that you know we wouldn't be too lost in any one of these quadrants right that as we talk about um, the way we approach these conversations especially for those who are coming um, to this side and coming to a new awareness of uh, things that are going on that you would move closer to the center and likewise with the right you know to get into that discussion the ways that sin distorts some of the good creational things that these are and points them further away from the table like we want to redirect them I want to redirect everyone back to the table. So um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be on next week. And uh, I think we should be discussing, again, the items of the right side of this quadrant. And, um, yeah, Will, will you actually just close us out with a prayer? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, Father, we, um, we thank you uh, that you are a God who is powerful and who moves and acts in history in, in real places through real people. Uh, we thank you that your spirit is active now 
or it feels like uh, in our body, especially in the evangelical church in North America, there are portions of our body that have fallen asleep, like, mm. like when our foot or our leg falls asleep and they have been numb to the experience of the rest of the body. And your spirit is bringing those pins and needles that are causing uh, those limbs to wake up. And I thank you for that. Jesus, would you continue to move um, across our, our, our nation as we engage in these conversations yes. about race, but mm -hmm. about so many other issues that break your heart, yeah. about sanctity of life, about uh, so many justice issues. Jesus, would this um, just be a, a movement uh, in which you bring so many people into a saving knowledge of who you are. Lord, would you use uh, your church to lead the way in this because um, we understand who you are. Um, Jesus, forgive us for the ways that we've been unfaithful to that. And, and would you give us extra measure of your spirit so that we can be faithful in this time. We love you, Lord. Would you help us to love you more and trust you more and obey you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you, Will. Yes. And we'll see you guys next week.